Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so excited to have you back this week. And as always, you know that I am thrilled that you send comments, that you're liking and sharing and subscribing. It gives us visibility and validity, and that keeps people engaged. And it also helps people find us. So keep doing that. Um, I always want to know what you're thinking. And remember, as always, if you want to be a guest for the show, all you have to do is get on that show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see how to get in touch with me. And you'll also see how to be a guest. It's really, really easy. And um, so do that. Be a guest. We want to hear your story and to honor it. So today, guys, I have a great guest. Now, this this story is going to be way different than anything you've heard before, and um, that's why I want to that's why I want to share it. So, our guest today is the Reverend Julie Murdoch. Now, Mother Julie attended college and law school at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, receiving her undergraduate degree in business administration in 1980 and her law degree in 1983. Following law school, Mother Julie joined the Army as a member of the Judge Advocate General's Corps, serving as a prosecutor at Fort Devens, Massachusetts, and at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. She also served in the office of the Judge Advocate General at the Pentagon, specializing in medico-legal and constitutional law. After leaving active duty, Mother Julie worked as a consulting attorney at the Federal Aviation Administration and for a private consulting firm. Although raised Roman Catholic, Mother Julie began attending an Episcopal church in 1986. In 1999, after years of active lay ministry, she entered the discernment process in the Diocese of Washington. She was ordained to the diaconate in July 2003 and served as a deacon at her home parish, Holy Trinity Bowie. Bowie or Bowie? Bowie. Bowie. (laughs) I knew I'd get one of them wrong. Um, After her graduation from Virginia Theological Seminary, she was called as an assistant to the rector at St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, where she was ordained to the priesthood in June 2004. After four years at St. Barnabas's and feeling ready to serve as a rector, Mother Julie accepted a call to St. Thomas of Beckett Episcopal Church in Morganton, West Virginia, where she served for eight years. Unfortunately, life took a hard and difficult turn for the Murdoch family in February 2012, when one of her sons, Christopher, was in a catastrophic car accident. As a consequence of the accident and Christopher's grueling hospitalizations and lengthy recovery, Mother Julie was diagnosed with PTSD, a very severe case of PTSD. In consultation with her bishop and her therapist, and after much prayerful discernment, Mother Julie decided that she needed to leave active ministry. Following a time of rest and restoration and realizing God still had work for her to do, in late 2017, Mother Julie accepted her first call as an interim rector, serving Christ 
Church, Fairmont, as the parish recovered from a time of conflict and change. In late 2018, Mother Julie moved with her husband, Scott, and Christopher to Pittsburgh to be closer to her two sisters and mother, who all live in Chapel Hill. Go Heels. Just saying. <laughs> so then <laughs> um, she served as an interim associate rector at Emmanuel Southern Pines from November 2019 through August 2020, and is currently serving as interim priest in charge at Good Shepherd Ashboro during the rector's medical leave. Mother Julie has been married to Scott, a retired Army civilian attorney for over 35 years. They have three sons, Travis, Christopher, and Morgan. Mother Julie, welcome to the Gay With God podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Midge. Oh, I, I'm thrilled to have you here. And guys, just so you know, um, Mother Julie came to us, and, and you guys have heard me talk about this a little bit on the podcast about Father Joe uh, needing to have a liver transplant. And we went through and have been through several different priests, not because we're a rowdy, uncooperative group, but just that everybody had like a certain moment that they could help us out. And Mother Julie came in, um, I guess, what, um, almost eight or nine months ago? Early August. Early August. And um, as, as with every person, <laughs> that um that comes into my life who's a um a minister or pastor or whatever i need to go i need to go through some questions and i need to ask some things to make sure that my little gay soul is going to be protected in this in this relationship so um mother julie was no different i sat her down one time after um uh, our healing service and i said i just want to ask you a question you know do you really believe that gay people are you know are okay and going to heaven and and she had the most interesting answer to that question, none like anything I'd ever heard before. I mean, you know, some people say, oh, yes, and I can prove it in the Bible. But no, she had a story to tell. And uh, so when we decided, when I asked her to be on the podcast, and I was actually thinking of something else that I would love to have her talk about. But then she said, you know what, I think I'd like to talk about that day and and my answer to your question. And it just seemed perfect. So I want her to tell you exactly what that conversation was like. And, and we'll talk about that together because I think it's interesting for you guys to hear that when you're shopping around for a church or a parish or, or a community of, of, of believers to finish your journey or to go on your journey uh, as far as the faith journey is, you need to know who you're dealing with. And you, if you are brave enough to ask the question, then you're going to know if you feel safe there. And also you're going to know uh, you'll get a good sense about how comfortable they are talking with you so that if you have a, a crisis and you're going through it, that you can be completely, totally honest with your priest or pastor and know that they have your back. So Mother Julie, I'm so excited that you're here once again. And um, so I sat you down and I asked my little my little questions and tell the story that, <laughs> that you told me. Well, I think it might be helpful to have a little bit more of a backstory than I gave you. Um, okay. If you don't mind. I don't mind at all. I was all. looking at your prompt questions. And, um, <laughs> Good. One of us is. <laughs> as my bio said, I was raised Roman Catholic. Yes. Um, and yes, I'm old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you have to know that in the 60s and early 70s, at least in a Roman Catholic family, homosexuality didn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't dis dismissed. It just wasn't talked about. It just didn't mm -hmm. exist. And I didn't really even kind of know it was a thing. I kind of learned it by osmosis, getting involved. And how stereotypical is this um, in theater when I was in high school? Oh, cool. And I still remember pretty vividly 
um, a couple of, actually one was gay and one wasn't, actor friends of mine getting up on a table right near the football team in high school and embracing in this big, passionate, real kiss. Wow. And then taking off because <laughs> the football team took off to beat them down. Oh. And that's the message that I got was, you know, oh, you know, it's kind of a radical, strange, and definitely threatening thing that, you know, the football team wouldn't like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I deeply admired my theater friends for being that brave, I have to say. But still, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing when I was in college and law school. Um, but then I went in the army. Mm -hmm. um, and and it began to be something that people talked about around me. Mm -hmm. And I think probably a transformative moment was we were shown, I was a trial um, judge advocate, I was a prosecutor, mm -hmm. and we were shown, and this is mid eighties, a, a documentary called Gay Power, Gay Politics. Did I mention hmm. that to you when we were talking? No, I don't think so. Google it sometime. Okay. Um, it actually came out in 1980 and somehow the army got a, copy of it and it was shown to us it was originally i think the intent was to create something that was positive it was about the um, gay power in or burgeoning gay power in san francisco in mm -hmm. the 70s but it was shown to us as proof that homosexuals especially male homosexuals were a danger to good order and discipline in the service mm. and we were charged there was a movement in the mid 1980s to find and eliminate from active service gay and lesbian people mm. because that was a threat to good or discipline it wasn't allowed and that was part of you know that was part of the message was mm -hmm. this gay power gay politics and you can see how this can be so damaging um and i i kind of bought that mm -hmm. my responsibility was to to do what the army tells me and to prosecute people and to eliminate people from active service if they violate the rules of the service. And so I did. And I was at Fort Devens and there was a fairly significant initiative to send undercover people out to gay bars um, to get people to drop dimes on folks who might have been, that's the expression, drop a dime. Um, okay. <laughs> You know, because you used to use the dime to make a phone call. Oh, way back in the day. Yes, I do remember. See, I, I remember that. <laughs> and we began, we didn't charge criminally any but one who deserved it because he was a sexual predator. Mm. Um, but we began to administratively eliminate a whole bunch of people. Mm. Um, the other background to that was the beginning of the rise of the AIDS crisis. Um, which was really beginning to take hold was in the news there was mm -hmm. all that fear and, mm -hmm. and you know it's a gay disease and all that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. those were the dynamics that were playing out at the time and i was processing people for elimination mm -hmm. i i didn't process them for dishonorable discharge or other than honorable discharge because that didn't seem entirely reasonable to me um, mm -hmm. but still a general discharge is a is not as good as an honorable discharge and it was but that's what we were going for um and so we began the prosecution or, or 
administrative elimination of this one young private first class. And it was business as usual for me. I mean, I'll admit that I kind of struggled some because it just, it did seem a little odd, but anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So I got a message from my admin NCO that this private first class wanted to speak to me. And that was kind of weird. Um, so I contacted his defense counsel and found out that yes, this, this PFC wanted to speak to me and he wanted to speak to me one-on-one -on -one, and he didn't want his defense counsel there and that I didn't have to be afraid of him or anything, you know, that it wasn't a threatening situation of any kind. Mm -hmm. And I worked a lot with the defense counsel and I trusted him to be telling the truth. So mm -hmm. I allowed this PFC to come and meet with me in my office. Oh, I'm going to tear up. It's okay. It's been almost 40 years. God. Yeah. But this was a pivotal moment for you. So it's okay to be tearful. And it also shows me where so your heart heart he was, is. He was this young, tall, dark-haired man. Um, he couldn't have been more than, I think he was 20, 21. Very young. Hadn't been in the military very long. But he'd been done really well, which was how he was already a private first class. And he sat down. And he asked me why I was doing what I was doing mm -hmm. and and told me about being gay and being contracted to people his own gender and how horrible it had been to have to hide who he was and and how he loved being in the military mm -hmm. and how could I do this to him mm -hmm. and I talked to him about good order and discipline and these were the rules and here were the concerns of the commanders about men not knowing if other men are going to be looking at their privates while they're the other privates while they're uh -huh. in the shower and stuff and mm -hmm. um and he told me how this was going to change and damage his life and i i listened um i got him a cup of coffee because you know that's what you do yeah <laughs> but i couldn't change anything uh -huh. And then he left and my legal NCO came in and he took the coffee cup and he put a bunch of dirt in it and put a little one of the office plants he transplanted it to that coffee cup. And I asked him mm -hmm. why he did that. I thought, you know, is he creating some little memorial or something? And, and he said, well, this way nobody else will ever use this cup. Uh -huh. And it was so dehumanizing. Uh -huh. So I call it my Damascus Road moment, the whole, the discussion and that moment with the cup. Because, you know, the scales fell from my eyes. And, uh -huh. and I saw that you know, somebody who is gay or lesbian isn't different from me mm -hmm. and, and isn't different from any other person in the military and that what I was doing was wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't understand being gay or lesbian because 
it's just like, I don't understand being Chinese because it's just, right. you know, it's not, it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that it is who people are. It's mm-hmm. who you are as mm-hmm. it's not, it's not this weird thing that gay power of gay politics, you know, <laughs> portrayed it. It's just who you love and who you're sexually attracted to. And it mm-hmm. shouldn't matter. Yeah, and it shouldn't, but boy, doesn't it still. <laughs> um, that was a horrible time in America. Um, mm-hmm. I will say it changed. I was very fortunate after that um, because I was assigned. I did a brief time at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, and then I was assigned to the Pentagon. And that was in the early days of the it was called HTLV-3. I don't know if you knew that originally. It wasn't HIV. Um, oh, I didn't. It was, it was HTLV-3. Um, and, but it was the early days of the HIV AIDS regulations in the military. And there were a lot that were proposed that were draconian, isn't even the word for it. But because I'd had this Damascus Road experience, I was, and you know, here's this lowly captain there, but the lowly captains are the worker bees. They're the ones who do all the work and, and we did all the review of the regulations and wrote the opinion letters that the generals subsequently signed and that sort of thing. And, um, and so, you know, blood testing every person who showed up on an army installation, military or civilian, and banning them from the installation if they showed positive for HIV and, immediate elimination for service with dishonorable or other than honorable discharge Mm -hmm. somebody was hiv positive and all these other things that could have happened because of the team that i was on my general and and me i will say didn't Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. and i'm really proud of that Mm -hmm. yeah i also at, at around the same time i read if you haven't read it you should uh randy schultz's and the band played on Mm-hmm. which is about the early days of the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is that story that I yeah. told you about that PSC. Yeah. And I, I have to say though, I still had some evolution to do mm-hmm. um, because when the whole idea of marriage equality first came out, I was all, Oh, well, you know, civil partnerships, that's, that's you know the same but it was my becoming more active in my faith and you know we we promise in our baptismal vows to seek and serve christ in all persons loving your neighbor as yourself and Mm -hmm. preserving respecting the dignity of every human being Mm -hmm. and you know that is so inconsistent with saying civil partnerships only Mm -hmm. so now, I, when I say I evolved, this was long before the law changed. I, mm-hmm. But it, it was an evolutionary process. Um, yeah. I wish it wasn't to some extent, um, yeah. but it is. It, it, it's the reality. Well, it is. And I think that's why it's such an evolutionary process for us, too, even though we know how we feel, who we're attracted to. We know that it's different, but we we get brainwashed you know either in church or with society as to how bad whatever it is that we're dealing with is that we put some inner homophobia in our soul 
and we hate that we're different. We hate that we can't be like everybody else. And that's, that's a process of, of releasing that. And it comes, it, it will, it just keeps coming back up. So if we could deal with it, if we could like get the answers, deal with it, have our rights, move on, I think we'd be good. We might have a little sticky wicket in there, but I think we'd be overall good. But every time a new president comes in and they can take all those rights away, or we look at what's happening, you know, in Florida and Texas and so many other country um, countries, I feel like they're a different country, (laughs) other states, (laughs) you know, that whole, that whole stuff becomes almost like a, um, a trauma trigger. Because then even though I may know, okay, I'm safe with Mother Julie and I'm safe with Father Joe and I love this Episcopal church, but I would be scared to death to go somewhere else. And um, Saturday, I went to a funeral for one of my wife's coworkers. Her mom died and she, um, her mother went to the Baptist church here in town. <laughs> and I was like, we're going to a Baptist church for a funeral. And my wife like, yeah, but it's not really in the sanctuary. It's in the like an auditorium. I think it was like sort of like their first church because it was really small, but it was set up like a church. And I and my first thought was, is that where they put the gay families? Like if there are gay people in the family, because her daughter, you know, is gay and is married to her wife. And um it, it was just a horrible experience as far as hearing how that preacher said certain things and the altar call at the end he didn't actually have us come down front and the buses were not waiting apparently but he did belabor the point on how long that that prayer was going to be and that we would not see our loved ones if we didn't get saved and and all of that was a trigger because i was in that church of unwelcoming and i knew they were not welcoming and i could see it on faces of certain people who were in that church that day and clearly as much as he loved um, this, this person's mother, he said, um, and the whole church loved this mother. There weren't very many of those church people in that little chapel. Um, and I think it was because we were all there. (laughs) So yeah, that um, we, we could give it to you. You know, it's, it's like a vibe. (laughs) Look at our eyes long enough and we could give it to you. But, you know, so I think that that evolution is not just for, for those of you who, you know, thought one way, and then you start to lean to the other way. And, you know, I I think we all evolve, you know, our parents have to evolve when we come out. But I'm wondering in your evolution, what did you do with your Catholic upbringing? How did that, how did the scriptural part transform? Because if you've been taught one way, even though it wasn't really discussed, but I'm sure that in not discussing it, there was some sort of a, a knowledge of what the, the Roman Catholic church believes about homosexuality. Nope. No, really? Not really. My wow. Were, I love my parents, but they didn't talk about difficult things with mm. one exception. And this is where I think I had some help in my evolution. And that was in the sixties and seventies, the big push in the Roman Catholic church was against the women's movement. Because, of course, that had all been going on and women were getting snotty and, you know, in the eyes of the church Mm -hmm. and and thinking that they should be able to do stuff. And, um, you know, this was the Roman Catholic Church I went to was the altar guild couldn't bring stuff onto the altar. You know, they couldn't bring stuff past the altar rail, you know, women cooties and um, (laughs) And it was considered a relatively liberal Roman Catholic church, you know, 
women couldn't get their feet washed on mm. Monday, Thursday. And um, anyway, so that was the big push then. And my parents were appalled by that. You know, they had three daughters who, and a son, but three daughters who they thought should be able to do what they wanted. I don't think they ever thought in terms of going into ministry. That was a mm -hmm. strange thing for them. But mm -hmm. still, that that message that we were continually getting that you had women had to be in this role. Mm. They could be nuns or they could be wives or mm. occasionally teachers. Um, and that 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 rigidity there that my mm -hmm. parents pushed back against was kind of in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I had the I was in the army and I had that interaction with the, the private first class. I wasn't actively attending a Roman Catholic church. I wasn't actively attending any church. Mm. Um, I had tried a bunch and none of them had grabbed me. Um, mm -hmm. Part because it was guilt. It was Roman Catholic guilt. You know, I can't, mm -hmm. can't go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and part it was just moving away from organized religion, or so I thought. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we really stumbled across the Episcopal Church, my husband and I looking for a place to get married uh, six weeks after we met. Um, <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> and the Episcopal Church was near my parents' house, and um, I called it out of the blue, and they said, no, we won't, we won't do your wedding, but you can come attend church, and maybe we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I found the Episcopal Church. And it was, I will say, the rector was extremely conservative. But the associate who we actually worked with and who did do our wedding 10 weeks after that um, was not. He was very broad-minded. He was um, he was pro-women clergy. He was, which I hadn't even thought about at that point. Mm -hmm. um, he he mentioned gay and lesbian people as if it was no big deal. And I, you know, I still remember that ping, uh -huh. that, that light going off. And we never looked back. I mean, that was we we never looked back once we started attending that Episcopal church. Um, so, so I think I was fortunate in that I'd already had a break from the church mm -hmm. before I had my Damascus road experience. Mm -hmm. And I knew from my parents' ex ex uh, example that it was okay to push back against some of the dogma. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was helpful. Mm -hmm. And then of course, going to seminary and um, well, even before that I was in, a Bible study program called Education for Ministry, which I've mentioned. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and then going to seminary and wrestling with scripture, wrestling with, you know, which Bible, which translation. <laughs> you realize that they made up this whole section of Job because there isn't actually any text, you know, all these really fascinating things. Um, so when, so when the clobber verses, as people uh -huh. call them, those six verses are presented, it's like, so what, you know, there are mm -hmm. hundreds of pieces of scripture, thousands of pieces of scripture that either we don't know what they mean in context, they mean something different, or they're simply not relevant for today. Like mm -hmm. women shouldn't wear gold and pearls. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. or cut their, men shouldn't cut their hair or women should be silent in the church. I'm so not into that one. <laughs> so they don't, those those tiny little verses taken out of context have no weight with me mm -hmm. and i wish they wouldn't with 
with my gay lesbian brothers and sisters mm-hmm. or gender fluid or whatever else mm-hmm. because they they are taken out of context mm-hmm. they don't necessarily mean what people try to make them mean mm-hmm. and even if they did there are hundreds of other passages that all echo the, the kind of fundamental message which is love god love neighbor and all the rest are details and <laughs> And, and to take tiny little verses and hurt people with them, mm-hmm. which is what this legislation is simply intended to do, mm-hmm. is yeah. as unbiblical as anything I've ever come across. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah. The anti-trans mm-hmm. legislation that's being proposed mm-hmm. makes me want to be very unbiblical myself, or maybe not, and go and hurt somebody because mm-hmm. it is. It is intentionally cruel mm-hmm. and intentionally mm-hmm. ignorant because mm-hmm. it doesn't take much research to understand how the science of mm-hmm. transgenderism works. I mean, it's really, we know about that. You know, you look at a single series of PET scans on how different parts of the brain, mm-hmm. are. anyway, I won't go into it, but, but it's just, to me, it's just intentionally cruel. And if there yeah. was anything that Jesus was all not about, mm-hmm. it was about being intentionally cruel. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that I've, I've said before is that the only way I can wrap my head around the fact that that ministers and good people, other good people, I mean, there are good people that are stuck on us going to hell and being an abomination is that they never, they never... I don't know if they didn't go to the right seminary. I'm trying to figure that out. And, and I did go to Bible school and I got a BA in theology, but I wasn't in the minister's curriculum. I was, I was getting a BA. It was a general BA in theology. And I was guided to be in the teaching uh, department because, you know, if I'm not married, I can't serve and can't get paid to do anything. And I couldn't preach anyway. So, you know, um, but I never got, the word hermeneutics said to me, I never got, how do you, <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I had to ask people. I mean, I was an adult person coming into the Episcopal church and wondering what the heck is hermeneutics. I don't, people are throwing it around. I don't even know what it is. And so maybe the ministers learned something, but based on how all of my minister friends that I went to college with, how we interact now, I'm not thinking they know that, you know, it's, they, somebody believed the the words in the bible as they were written black and white god said it we believe it that settles it and they never went deeper than that they don't they don't talk to me about the history and how women were treated and you know context and parables and all this kind of stuff they it's like nobody learned it but all they learned was that if you side with the sinner you're going to go to hell but so it's only particular sins Yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) The sins of women. Yes. And it's homosexuality. Yeah. But it's not pride. It's Uh not greed. It's Mm -hmm. not failing to feed the poor and take care of the widow and orphan. It's not any of those other thousands of things that are talked about in scripture. Much more, especially care of the poor and those who are marginal. You know. Yep. 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 We don't actually care about those sins. And, <laughs> no, 
which is infuriating because, because that's what jesus was all about yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and which makes me think that it's not about scripture at all mm -hmm. um, i know it's not about scripture at all it's about prejudice mm. it's about using cherry picking scripture to bolster prejudices that already exist Ooh, that's good that's good yeah it, it can't be any other way because uh -huh. it's seriously a matter of careful scriptural study uh -huh. and they wouldn't be there yeah. or if they were there you know these are the sins then they would have those lists of sins that the roman catholic church had in medieval days you uh -huh. know if you do any of these seventy thousand things <laughs> here's your venial sins and here's your mortal sins and you know you can buy your way out of purgatory and but you're damned to hell for this mm -hmm. huge list mm -hmm. but they don't they don't so and i i don't think they many of them and i've had discussions as well um i've been told i'm going to hell so many times really well yeah because i'm woman clergy uh. and i when I'm asked, well, do you believe in the literal word of the Bible? My first question is, which Bible? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there's like 700 English translations, right? Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Yeah, which one are you talking about? And mm -hmm. even in the, the archaic Greek and the Hebrew, there are some different versions of the text. So yeah, tell me which one you're talking about, and then we'll talk. Mm -hmm. um, so... Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hell for that. I'm going to hell because I'm a woman clergy. Um, I'm going to hell because I don't condemn outright gay and lesbian people, which or I don't condemn at all gay and lesbian people. I don't, that expression, I've had this argument, you know, love the sinner, hate the sinner. Ugh, yeah. It's not a sin. <laughs> <laughs> it's no more a sin than I have freckles, you know, mm -hmm. which of course actually used to be that used to be a, a sin in, or equated with uh, evil in scripture. Marks on the face. Oh, oh my goodness. I didn't hear that one. Okay. <laughs> goodness well, sakes. You know, unless you were physically perfect in, mm -hmm. in the Old Testament and a man, which of course, mm. so you couldn't have been if you were a woman, you couldn't enter the, the temple. You could only mm -hmm. go to a certain extent. And that was, you know, if you had a scar and you couldn't see right or whatever mm -hmm. so mm. anyway so that whole love i've had that love the sinner hate the sin thing because uh, how do i take off my skin i know um, yeah so yeah just, it, it is irrational yeah and i think that's that's the other part of how hard it is for my community is that we we can't change it. Now we're lucky if we're white, we can pass. You know, it's our African American, you know, friends who they can't pass being black. I mean, you either are or you aren't. But the gay community, we can pass if most of us can pass. Some of us, <laughs> there's no way we can pass because we just, you know, are either more feminine or more masculine. But um being able to pass is also uh, a hit on your your 
authenticity. And when you pass, there's guilt related to that because, oh, you know, someone else couldn't pass and we passed. And, and so we might, might not have gotten beat up that day or, you know, we acted like we were somebody else. So it's always a way to devalue um, your inner core, really. And, and that, that whole sin sinner thing, when, when families come up and say, or when your best friends come up and say, well, I love you, but well, that, but just erased the, I love you. And, and you can't, you can't take that back. I mean, we know where we stand. Yeah. It's like saying to me, I love you, but the fact that you're a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Change that. But if you change that, then you're going to go to hell for being trans. (laughs) Remember that part at the beginning before we were recording where I said I wasn't going to swear. Right. This is where I'm really tempted to. Okay. All right. Implied swear. Go ahead. (laughs) Because it's infuriating to me Mm -hmm. that the people who, especially clergy, the people who should nurture and care for the souls of the Mm -hmm. people who trust them. You know, you talk about the discussion that we had you put yourself in such a vulnerable place mm-hmm. and i could have crushed you mm-hmm. but and i was ready <laughs> because i have vowed to follow christ i have vowed to do the work of reconciliation in the world and i actually believe all that stuff because mm-hmm. that's who i am i guess mm-hmm. and we should believe it mm-hmm. The people who go, who are in other ministry, who are in other churches, mm-hmm. thought that they do that, that they mm-hmm. crush the people who come before them, makes mm-hmm. me want to scream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have, I have dealt with the damage done mm-hmm. by clergy. That mm-hmm. um, a church that I worked with. Um, that clergy person was uh, extremely good at crushing people mm. for a variety of reasons. Mm. And the, that damage is so long lasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was able to do some healing, but it will be a long time before mm-hmm. the actual reconciliation and healing is done. Mm-hmm. Because when somebody comes to you in a spiritual capacity, mm-hmm. it is the most vulnerable. It's even more vulnerable, I think, than one's sex life or sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because it goes to your soul. Yeah. You be more vulnerable than your soul. Yeah. And for somebody to take advantage of that role mm-hmm. to injure someone else, even mm-hmm. if they don't think they're injuring. Yeah. They have to see what the what happens. And and I will be honest with you as well. In 2022, in the in the world of the internet and Googling. Mm-hmm you know, 24-7 information being available. Anyone who is not knowledgeable about homosexuality, gender fluidity, non-binary, whatever else, is just not looking. Mm-hmm. Or they're looking in the place that validates their belief, and that's all. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're not really searching a variety like you teach us in, you know, in the Lenten program that look at all of the commentaries, look at all of the, the versions, you know, don't just pick one and stick with it because then you're narrow and how you view something. You never know when something's going to open up. Um, yeah. And, and just so the, go ahead. I was going to say, 
pay attention to the authority of the sources. I mean, if you're looking for something in the secular world, don't go to, you know, the your church's website. Mm-hmm. Go to the American Medical Association. Go to mm-hmm. the American Psychological Association. Go to, you know, whatever. But but you're right, that, that bias confirmation is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But it's still inexcusable. Yes, yes. No, you're good. You're good. You're very good. You're <laughs> stand right where you are and preach, preach. <laughs> and I know, but I know it can be done. Mm-hmm. If I could learn what I've learned mm-hmm. long before the world of the internet. Yeah. Go into the library, going yeah. and talking to people who are actually gay and lesbian. And, you know, after the PFC experience and being willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did take me out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But it's what we're called to do. Yeah. If we really believe that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God, then talking to everybody, especially kind of pushing past that comfort zone, is what we're called to do. And I will be honest with you, though, the one thing I do have trouble doing, but I do try, is to talk with people who are on the other side. Um, yeah who and and some of them are our parishioners yeah yeah Um, but being willing to engage and to hear what their concerns are and to hear what their experiences are um i will say the fact that they have come to me to talk means that their mind is opening Mm. because they know i'm not going to just just feed them what will confirm their bias Mm -hmm. um so I appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I, I appreciate them asking questions because, you know, they could just stay in their own thinking and not branch out. Um, well, and, and I want the listeners to know too, that that day that we had our first conversation about this, you know, you built trust with me that day because you told me a story that could have gone the the opposite way for me you know if i say to you do you believe it's okay even though you might have said and later i got it you knowing that you were in that space that might have been all i heard because there have been times that i'll hear only the first part of something and if it triggers something in in me i may look like i'm listening but i've i've stopped listening i'm in trauma I'm in religious trauma. And I say that kind of jokingly, but I think it's real. And, and my brain literally shuts off that one time that I had to, I was reading um, the scriptures and I had to say that, you know, the, uh, you know, God brought Adam and Eve, you know, to get it, you know, marriages between a man and a woman. And I knew it was coming and I had practiced it at home. And as I got closer to it, I could feel myself locking up because I didn't want to say, as if it's implied, that's all there is. Yeah, marriage between a man and woman. And I got through it. But then when I sat down, I didn't hear any of the sermon because it was still spinning in my head. Now, later I, I listened. <laughs> <laughs> in the privacy of my home, I got the live stream and I re-listened to the, um, the service and it's like, oh, okay, so that's not where she went with that, you know, and I knew that you wouldn't, but I couldn't stay focused on what was coming. And, and a lot of my friends who aren't in church now, and even my wife, it's like that trauma. And I was there too. I mean, I've, I've been out of the church. I've only been back 
to the Episcopal church for like two years, maybe, maybe two and a half, but um, I could not come back. And many of my friends won't come back because the trauma and the crushing is, as you said, that they got crushed so badly that they couldn't, they haven't found a way yet to, to open that door. And you know, but you built trust that day because you told me a story that you didn't have to tell me. All you had to say was, I really believe it. And I've got the scripture to back it up. But I so valued you that day that you would tell me that story and show me where you were and how you came out of that. And, and I really appreciate that very much. And I wanted to say that for the listeners. I know I've said that to you, but I wanted everybody else to know that that's why you're so important to me in that moment, because you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to get vulnerable and tell me the worst part of that experience for you, because that was crushing to you to, to come through and, and have your orders and you did what you were expected to do and you did it really well. And then when you went through that Damascus moment, you didn't have to reveal that, that to me. And I appreciated. I nervous. Just like doing this podcast, <laughs> I was nervous telling you because yeah. It, it's not something that I look back on with pride. Yeah. It, it was a very hard time. Yeah. So I thought she's, she could just get up and walk out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, but I thought, you know, you asked me, you mm-hmm. gave me an honest story about your background and asked mm-hmm. me a very vulnerable question. Mm-hmm. And, and I owed you the same respect. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. even if it was nervous making. Yeah. So. Yeah. We were both really nervous, but, <laughs> but it, well, it matters to me. It's, yeah. We're talking about people's faith and their souls and their relationship with God. It matters. It's mm-hmm. not a, an intellectual exercise at all for me. Um, mm-hmm. I have been, I have been in very dark places mm-hmm. um, and God has gotten me through. Mm-hmm. And that is a gift that I want to share with other people. It's kind of the mm-hmm. reason why I became clergy. Right. You know, not so I could go, eh, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> no matter how tempting that is. Yes. And actually, I do occasionally do that um, in the sort of don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I always tell people I want to get it. I want to make a T-shirt that says uh, on the front, I'm Christian, dot, dot, dot. And on the back, dot, dot, dot but not one of those Christians. Yes, I know. I know. I've actually lost some friends because I came back to church. So I thought it was so interesting that, you know, I lost a lot of friends because I was gay. (laughs) And then I finally get my gay self back to church, but then I lost other friends because it's like I've, I've somehow, um, gone astray again because I left the gay community to go to church. I'm like, no, don't you get it? I have a podcast gay with God. (laughs) I lost friends when I went to seminary. Did you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you're a woman or no, because I came out as a Christian, as I like to call it. Oh, Oh, instead of being Catholic people. No, just, just talking about faith, talking about God stuff. It's Uh before I decided to go to seminary when I had actively, I was in church, because I had a period of time where I wasn't particularly active when my kids were little, mm-hmm. um, and then got active again. And, um, and before, when I was in the military, before I met Scott, and then immediately after, we didn't really talk about church. You know, mm. Our friends, we didn't have church friends. We had 
neighborhood friends and work friends, all of whom were secular. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't talk about the fact that we went to church because the church was a ways away from our house. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I really began to get serious about it, started EFM, began mm -hmm. to talk openly about my faith and, and you know, trying not to be preachy about it, but mm -hmm. I was kind of excited what was going on. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I was a little, um, but oh yeah, we, you know, there are people that I never heard from again. Yeah. Um, people that I thought I was close friends with. And, mm -hmm. But I, you know, I started to wear a cross or a crucifix and, mm -hmm. and that just was like, so. And you know, my, one of my older sisters is, well, my older sister is a um, literal card carrying atheist. And, and she had, she has had some difficulty with this. Mm -hmm. She has finally accepted that this is who I am. Mm -hmm. and, but I don't preach at her. Because mm -hmm. That's not her thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I try not to preach at anybody, but yeah, it might be sometimes. But, um, but that was a difficult transition. I mean, she literally mm -hmm. didn't talk to me for a period of time. Wow. So, so yeah, it's, I understand to some extent how this church thing can be. Yeah. Separating. Yeah. 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 And I, and I've talked about feeling like sometimes I'm a um, hypocritical because um, I do, I have always been drawn back to my faith, even when I was not in church, you know, instead of using the word God, I would use the word creator of all that is. Because I figured that that had to be true, even though I don't understand it. And I don't know who made God. And it still drives me crazy because I need to have order. You know, there's this comes first. And then this. So it's like, don't tell me that God's just always been there. Somebody had to make God. I mean, it's just it's God made time. OK, so. So God has always been because there wasn't time. Time is a is a creaturely construct. That's how I try to think about it. That well, that's good it's not a linear thing you know there you wasn't know. something and then god and then yeah see i'm so linear when it comes to that my wife well it wasn't my wife it was her father we were standing out on the back deck one day and we were looking at the stars and he said oh he said that's that's beetlejuice and i said there's a star named beetlejuice he goes well yeah but it's not really a star anymore because it it died and i'm like what do you mean it died and he goes well that's that particular star was like light years away and it died and we're just now seeing its light and i said shut up <laughs> I'm like, what and and they they kidded me and kidded me about that because apparently it made sense to the brain the brainiac people on the deck and i'm like no if i see it it's there no it's not really there i know it looks like it's there but it's just it's just the light finally got here and i've Oh, that drives me crazy. That drives me crazy. So, you know, I was little, I was probably five years old. And I asked my minister grandfather who made God, because my brother had just been born and I knew that mama made him as far as I'd been told. And so I thought it was an appropriate time to ask my grandfather who knew all things God, who made God. And he just looked at me and he said, go to bed. And he sent me to my room to go to bed. So I'm, I'm 62 years old. I'll be 63 in just like a couple of weeks. And I still don't have that answer. <laughs> but that's what I, you know, I preach that sometimes, which is if we understand 
God. It's not God. Uh. <laughs> we can try to understand bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but anything that we can wrap our pathetic human ba- brains around <laughs> isn't God. Mm-hmm. Can't be God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that funeral that, that we went to and we uh, all went out to four saints after, cause it seemed appropriate. And, <laughs> and we, and one of the ladies had this conversation with me and she said, so, so you go to church. And I said, yeah. And she said, so tell me, tell me why this God thing is so important. And I'm like, Oh Lord, really? Like right now. <laughs> and so I was, I, and I talked to her a little bit about that and she's, but I still don't get it. I don't get it. And I said, yeah, I said, I don't really get it. I said, but the, they would say to you, that's what faith is for. And she goes, I hate that answer. I said, yeah, I hate that answer too. I said, cause I really want to understand it. And I said, but there's a lot of questions that I have. And I said, it's not about the questions. It's about just continuing to lean in and to, to let the love come because that's what, that's what I find you know, I'm finding love there and I don't have all the answers. And I was told clearly by father Joe that if I, you know, was a, a, a confirmed into the church affirmed anyway, um, that I would have more questions after than I had now. And I said, that's not really a selling point. That's not, that's not, a, selling, that's not a selling point, but, but it, it, it doesn't stop the questions, but I feel safe enough to ask them and I feel safe enough to keep leaning in. So it was a challenge for me at first when I, because growing up, growing up Roman Catholic, you don't study mm-hmm. the Bible. Mm-hmm. You listen to what the priest tells you. Right. I think I mentioned this at our Lent class. Yep. And so beginning to actually study scripture, do exegesis, pull it apart, there was a certain amount of, whoa, <laughs> oh, oh. So we don't actually know what that phrase means. Well, then why should we find, you know, it dispositive? Why should we get inspiration from it? Um, and it, it took a number of years before I became comfortable with the fact that that, that was okay, that, mm-hmm. that God could still speak, that I could still find inspiration, um, but that I needed to look at, at the wider picture in order to figure out what was being said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, but it was, it, as everything is, it was a process. So. Process. Yep. And it continues to be a process. I think it always will be, but I, I'm the, the inspiration I get from your story is truly that, that you were brave enough to lean in when you, when it got to the point where you really felt like it wasn't right, even though you had that in the back of your head. But I also appreciate the fact that, you know, when you go into service, that's a brainwashing thing too, that you know where your loyalties lie and you had to be a certain way in the service and you couldn't not do your job. Yeah. You know, so say, though, I am still proud of the fact that I served in the military on active duty. Yeah. Oh yeah. That I got to shoot an M60, not at anybody, <laughs> but you know, um, I'm proud of that. Yes. I think, I think it, like any human organization, it trips and falls sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly mm-hmm. did with the position on, on uh, LGBT people, mm-hmm. unquestionably about that. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it tripped and fell with race, racial prejudice. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the role of women. Um, mm-hmm. But it has, I think, as an organization overall, the military has tried to progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the occasional setback. Um, well, yeah. So I'm proud of the fact that I served, and I'm really proud of what I did serving in the, in the Pentagon. Because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't just it wasn't just the HIV AIDS stuff. I also 
um, I did constitutional law stuff. And so, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that somebody who was atheist wasn't forced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, mm. Mm. making the army change the regulation over a period of time so that if somebody was caught for an alcohol related offense, they had to be given the option of a secular program. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can't imagine what a big deal that was. I bet. I bet. Making sure that the head of the Church of Satan didn't lose his security clearance. Because... <laughs> Fun <laughs> times. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it gets back to that. I'm a big fan of the separation of church and state, um, mm. let me say, which mm-hmm. is why a lot of those, getting back to that, the law thing that we've talked about, mm-hmm. any politician who justifies a secular law in this country by saying my faith tells me that this is bad is is de facto violating the constitution mm-hmm. unless he's saying that my faith tells me to feed the poor and take care of the needy which maybe i'll i'll give them a buy on that mm-hmm. but but anything that is like the anti-trans anti-lgbt stuff mm-hmm. anti-women stuff mm-hmm it's just to me it's just de facto unconstitutional because mm-hmm. of that separation of church and state mm-hmm. i meant to say that earlier but yeah because yeah. even though my faith informs who i am and i think it should if somebody's you need to be able to separate law and religion mm-hmm. and make sure that that the needs of a secular community a polytheistic not polytheistic, but, you know, a non, this idea of white Christian nationalism mm-hmm. yes. is anathema to what scripture actually says mm-hmm. and to the constitution. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's another reason why it infuriates me. I'm a big fan of the first amendment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I wish other people were too, and not just for their side. <laughs> It's like we all get a voice. If you want the First Amendment, then it's not just your group. It's every group is able to speak and every group needs to be represented and, and every group needs to feel safe. Religion and also freedom from religion. Right. Honor that. Right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I could talk to you for hours. I really could. I could. But I know that, you know, there's probably a limit. <laughs> but i'm talking about my faith and whatnot um although as i said i was nervous coming into this but um this has been a joy it has been a joy it has been and i'm 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 honored that you came i really am i'm so tickled that you came so thank you very much for being vulnerable with us and sharing your story and showing us how far you've come and i'm so grateful i'm so grateful that you came to good shepherd and um I'm very sad to see you leave. I really am. I've welcomed Father Joe back whenever he is healthy and ready. But um, this this um, bebop and priest, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be soon. And I might even come down off the mountain for it. I think I wasn't going to be here. But <laughs> if I get confirmation that he's coming, I will be in the pew to welcome him back in, in full mask, if whatever it takes. <laughs> I'll be there. 
But I really thank you so much. And and just in general, I want to say that I thank you so much for all you've done for Good Shepherd since you've been here, because I feel like you you elevated us to a place that we needed to be. And and it's been a it's been a privilege to walk with you, even though I'm dyslexic, apparently, and I can't I can't see fours and sixes. <laughs> So, we really shouldn't. So, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, for the short version, is I was reading Prayers of the People because it's one of the things I, I chose to lean in to do. And I clearly looked at the Roman numeral four, and I even said it we're going to read form four. And I gave a page number, but somehow in my little dyslexic um, math disabled brain, it didn't all come out. And bless the little people, they just found it and read it with me. <laughs> <laughs> they found it's a it. Great parish. Yep. It really For a variety is. of reasons, it's a great parish. Yes, yes, it is. All right, guys. Well, so that's that's Mother Julie, and and I I won't be putting links to how to reach her, but if you want to, if you had that need to talk to her you, for the uh, for a little a few more weeks, <laughs> you can call the Good Shepherd of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Ashboro, and I, I will I will probably put that link on there for you just in case. Uh, there's good people there, and you can talk to them. And as always, if you're in Ashboro in the local area, then you can always go with me. Um, give me a call, message me, and I'll take you over on on a Sunday. So um, you'll be welcome. Uh, yes people come will be welcome i'm not the only gay person there by the way (laughs) that's right what did you say what did you say before that i said you're not the only gay person there right right our last senior warden was was elizabeth so that's right it it is it is it is no big deal to the church in the best possible way that's right that is absolutely true I've always felt very loved and appreciated there. So um, so I want to thank my listeners for coming back each week, supporting and sharing and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with the Church of the Good Shepherd or our priests there, you can go to the show page and I'll have that link for you. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. So thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned and hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out our Facebook group, Gay With God. And just so you know, recently I have started a monthly faith journey Zoom group where we get together and we talk on Zoom about uh, the journey we're taking and the questions we have, and we support each other along the way. So if you are also needing support in your coming out faith journey, go down to the show page again at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great week. See you next week. Love you. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.